Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On today's episode of our daily NYFF 60 edition, writer-director Charlotte Wells and star Frankie Corio discuss Aftersun, a main slate selection of this year's festival, with NYFF artistic director Dennis Lim. In one of the most assured and spellbinding feature debuts in years, Scottish director Charlotte Wells has fashioned a textured memory piece inspired by her relationship with her dad, taking place over the course of a brooding weekend at a coastal resort in Turkey. The charismatic Paul Mescal and naturalistic newcomer Francesca Coria fully inhabit Callum and Sophie, a divorced father and his daughter, often mistaken for brother and sister, who share a close and loving bond that creates an entire world unto itself. Wells employs an unusual and gorgeous aesthetic that brings us into the interior space of this parent and child, even as she judiciously withholds details, an approach that finally grants the film a singular emotional wallop. After Sun reimagines the coming-of-age narrative as a poignant, ultimately ungraspable chimera, informed by the present as much as the past. Winner of the French Touch Prize of the jury at this year's Cannes Festival, After Sun will open in our theaters at Film and Lincoln Center on October 21st. To learn more and get tickets to this year's NYFF, taking place through October 16th in all five boroughs of NYC, visit filmlink.org. Enjoy this conversation with Charlotte Wells and Frankie Corio. Please welcome back Charlotte Wells and Frankie Corio. Thank you both. Um, I guess I'll start. I'm sure people are a bit emotional, but uh, um, I will start by asking you, maybe Charlotte, to elaborate a bit on what you said in the introduction, um, that this is a fiction, uh, but it's a personal fiction. Um, yeah, I'm curious about the process of deciding to work with personal material um, and also the process of creating a fiction from it. Yeah, I think I was thinking the other day about when this process really started, and I realized it was after I made my first film and before I made the two shorts that came after. And that first film was definitely within the world of this this one, like a slightly different take on a similar feeling. When I first conceived of the idea of this as a feature without really drawing that line um, for myself, it was, uh, wouldn't it be fun to tell a story about a young father and his daughter on holiday? So relationship I knew, it was a setting I knew, lots of details that um, felt uh, intriguing to capture and portray. Um, so inspired by my own relationship and memories, I began to work on this quite conventionally fictional film. And over the course of making it or writing it, drew on memories, memories from childhood, memories from holidays, um, anecdotes, details. And eventually th that process found its way into the f script itself. I couldn't, I couldn't really separate it at a certain point, um, which is when the rave kind of emerged uh, on the page. It wasn't in the outline, I don't think. I think it just kind of, uh, yeah, it, um, it was, was coming from some uh, reckoning with the process and it became more personal. It became more, um, more of an expression of, of something for me. And then it became more fictional again, once I cast people and mm -hmm. found settings and this wasn't one holiday. I wasn't on this holiday. These things didn't happen, but the emotion of it is very much mine. So I'm curious about that, that, that idea of making this explicitly uh, a memory piece. I think that accounts for a lot of the power of the film. Yeah. 
Um, so that was initially you said it was a more conventional film, so it was just the vacation that was. Yeah, right, right in the beginning. I mean, by the time mm -hmm. I actually wrote the script, the memory framing was was there. Right. Um, the rave was there, um, and the scene two thirds, if not three quarters of the way through, where you see a, a very short glimpse of adult Sophie's present day life was yeah. almost there. Um, and then we kind of, as the script evolved and we developed it, we found this ending. Um, mm -hmm. And in the edit, we found the opening. That wasn't the opening of the script. It's one of the few quite major changes um, that felt major to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it became about memory. Uh, it, could, it could no longer, even though there were times it felt very tempting to revert back to that very straightforward holiday uh, when I was never sure if it would work. It was impossible because I didn't know how that film ended because mm -hmm. it had become so inextricably about, yeah, memory. Can you talk a little bit then about the process of, of casting um, and maybe maybe start with, with Frankie? Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> um, Frankie, so we, yeah, we started about six months before we shot. I worked with Lucy Party, who's an amazing casting super, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> casting director, sorry, who uh, is known for making discoveries and um, amazing at working with finding kids. And uh, we just put the word out um, through every possible means during the height of COVID, through sports clubs, though they weren't really in session, through schools, through the um, power of WhatsApp mom groups. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we have received submissions from almost 800 kids, which is a weird thing to say in front of Frankie now. <laughs> And, uh, and we, we had them do little video introductions and uh, send photographs and do exercises, play outside, um, tell us a story. And eventually we met um, 16 in Glasgow in February of last year, and one of them was Frankie. And Frankie blew us away in person. I've never told this story next to you. Um, <laughs> it was just so... Um, really surprised us at, your ability to um, really perform as someone that wasn't you. Like I expected to find a kid who was as close to the character as possible or I would write for that kid to be the character. And in Frankie, we found someone who could really move between different states and emotions and then not carry it out of the room. Like you got very sad in that first session as part of the exercise and then you were like, up and out. <laughs> we were all very disarmed. I think you've been thinking about your guinea pig. Was it a guinea pig? <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, it was an amazing, it was an amazing process and I learned a lot and um, it could never have been anyone else and that was clear when we met Frankie. And then, um, and then Paul, we kind of came to Callum after we were pretty, pretty sure who Sophie was and um, I met Paul he, his name had come up much earlier in the casting process, but he was unavailable. He was shooting God's Creatures and our dates moved and we met and we spoke and we had a really um, sincere and thoughtful conversation. He was so passionate about the project. Um, I was very suspicious because he said all the right things and like definitely asked if he had been like set up by his agent to say all the right things. And um, he wasn't. He just was very sincere, really cared about the project, had read it more than I had read it at that point, uh, certainly recently. And um, yeah, it was clear he really wanted to work hard to make it happen and he wants to be good. He's really interested in being good and putting in the work that is required to, to do that. Frankie, do you want to tell us about auditioning and working with Paul? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. 
Um, so, what do you want me to talk about first? Maybe the audition first. Okay, okay. So, it's your um, first Q&A you were just saying backstage, so. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, right. So, auditioning, it kind of started as, like, something I would love to do, but definitely didn't think that I, like, had a chance to actually do it. But as it got closer and closer, we done a lot of different like, I don't know, different stuff. Like, like Charlie said, sending in the photos and videos and stuff like that. Got closer, closer again. And then we got to do an audition in Glasgow and that was crazy. And I remember asking the guy who was doing my COVID test if he knew anything about how many people was left, like how much chance I had. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, I think it was the next day went back again and after that just like about a week or something after that my mom got a call from lucy who, who was the casting director saying that i had the parts that was so crazy and exciting <laughs> do you remember what you did in that in that moment like do you remember the moment that you got that call i was so happy but like i mean i wasn't crying but like not not in a sad way. I, I wasn't I wasn't sad, but I was like extremely happy. Maybe maybe Charlotte, you can tell us a bit about working with the with the actors. Um, I mean, it really is so much about the two of them, and um, that's actually. I mean, it, it's it's not just about words. I mean, so much of it is about gesture and the physicality of the actors around around each other, and also how how they're how they're shot and framed. And so, I wonder if you how much of that was already in the script, or how much of that was worked out on set. Yeah, both. Like there, there were the script was written quite visually, and then Greg, the cinematographer, and I really worked extensively before we got to Turkey to talk through how we would shoot the film and how we would shoot each different point of view incorporated in the film underneath the overarching point of view of adult Sophie. Um, and then the relationship building was everything, um, you know, like the, we had to portray a convincing sense of familial intimacy and these guys had to know and like each other, which fortunately they did. Um, and we had two weeks before we started choosing and I could only really spend like an hour and a half with you guys in the morning because I had tech scouts. And so Paul and Frankie would just hang out all day, um, go to the beach, learn to play pool, pool featured quite heavily in the, the, the film, the game of pool. And we arrived and we played pool and I was like, Oh, Frankie has never played pool before. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time around that pool table and we, we worked though. Like we, um, we had a version of the script that just had Frankie scenes in it and we read it all together. You never had a copy of the script outside of that. Um, and we read it through twice and we'd work through scenes and we'd done a lot of the big dialogue scenes during the audition. There aren't too many, as I'm sure you noticed. And, um, you just remembered them. It was amazing. Like carried ca carried it forward. We didn't we didn't ever work on memorizing lines. You just kind of absorbed it, and so we'd read through things before um, we started shooting. And I'm curious what you thought of what was happening with Callum, the character of Callum, because you were aware that the script didn't have everything in it, right? Did you like? Did you have any idea? Did you did you think about what what that was at all? I feel like over the course of shooting, you start to get a sense that you weren't totally clued into everything because we did. We tried to kind of somewhat protect Frankie from 
the character of Callum's kind of individual struggle, partly because I think that helped Paul. You know, it, it, the process all fed into, yeah, into what, what was your take on that? I mean, I, I knew it was like depressing. <laughs> I didn't really, I hadn't really caught on on like completely what was happening. Like when they were filming like scenes that was just Paul, I could tell that it was like, obviously wasn't happy scenes, but I didn't really know exactly what was happening until I watched the film at Cannes and then I kind of realized what was happening. <laughs> Um, I think we have time for a couple of audience questions. Um, should we take one from the third row? Just <laughs> How was it? Are you okay? It was in reference to some of the DV footage that I could say. Um, we'll take one from, oh, we do have one from the third row, actually, yes. I guess the question is about the images, how much of it was storyboarded ahead of time? I mean, I'm curious what shots you're thinking of, but my guess is the shots you're thinking of were mostly found. But found not accidentally, found because we were clear about what we needed and wanted. And it's always a case of if something doesn't feel right, adjusting and and making it work. Like the, the sequence um, of him practicing Tai Chi in the bedroom where you see just the shadows of his arms at first and then his arms come into frame was a different, completely different shot. And it just didn't work. It looked a little silly. And Greg had the wherewithal to stop what we were doing and say this isn't working let's find something that does um and we had spoken so extensively about how to shoot this film and, and references and know that we share very similar taste although our instincts are quite different that we were able to find that and, and it was right the same with the scene where um he's kind of putting uh sophie to bed um before it cuts into rave the tender sequence like it just didn't feel right and we had to stop and take a breath, which was hard because Frankie's hours were so constrained. There was always this pressure toward the end of the day. Um, but we had worked together before and, and, yeah, had enough of a sense of what we needed out of the images to, to find it. And we'd set ourselves up to have the space to do that. Greg also just has an eye for detail and bodies and gestures. And a lot of that's his eye, too. Could you say a bit about some of those references? <laughs> Um, I can. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like early in developing this, like the reference, the references were very superficial. It was kind of like story and relationship references, you know, like Alice in the Cities or Tomboy or somewhere or um, Corporate Celeste. And then they became more stylistic, you know, mm -hmm. like um, Greg started watching a lot of Taiwanese New Wave. We started watching like Simon Liang and... Um, I fell in love with Chantal Ackerman, um, who inspired that 360 degree shot yeah. at the end. Um, Claire Denis, Kelly Reichardt, there was like a shameless sequence that ripped off a scene from Old Joy that didn't make the final cut, which I'm grateful for to say. Because <laughs> uh, you really shouldn't be riffing off masters in any way, shape or form. But um, yeah, definitely like in, inspired by all of these people and everybody's eye is different and I find it fun to kind of take in shots and images and they find their way in the script and then they're so transformed by the time they're on screen. But um, like Terrence Davis is another one, Joanna Hogg has also got a film here. Um, everyone's here. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and like in Greg and Blair, the editor that we all went to film school together and 
they're huge informers of my taste and we share films and um we saw a lot of docs toward the end as we started to shoot um like short docs there's a film called silence is a falling body which is dv a lot of dv footage that felt uncannily similar to what we were doing and i'm curious about this the way you describe the film as you know transforming from something more conventional um as a narrative to to what we see on screen and was there a process of um subtraction would you say i mean because i feel like what's on the screen relies so much on withholding and you know opacity in a way and what we what we can't see and, and what we will never know uh there was a process of subtraction from the first draft of the script um it's always a fine line between giving yourself enough um, like what is the the minimum in some ways, but having more than you need, just a little more that than that than you need to shoot with. But I'm also very um determined not to shoot what I don't want in the film. So we didn't shoot anything that offered the type of clarity that some people might have been more inclined toward because we didn't want to have to use it. <laughs> um, but it, it was it there there was a lot of subtraction. and and I think like in in an earlier draft of even this film, which which always had the memory framing, there was a draft in which the the tension arose more from their relationship that um that it built toward a kind of bigger fallout and um in you know there's a moment of that but it, but it's a moment that comes and goes and i think um it felt important it was a big realization i had before the final draft to take all that tension out because the notes I got were often like more tension, more tension, more tension, like rack up the tension wherever you can. And I realized that I wanted that to be coming from their own individual experiences, but that their time together was was joyous, you know, and filled with love. And then the tension had to be derived from from elsewhere. And, and at times this question of what's what's going on with Callum. Uh, I'm getting the sign that we have to wrap up. I want to mention that Charlotte's actually doing a talk with Mia Hansen Love at four o'clock. Highly recommend that. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you, Frankie, for being with us as well. And thank you both for this talk.